Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. I think one of the uh, interesting things about our collective understanding, or, or maybe I should say our lack of understanding of the criminal defense system, is that most of us never really encounter it directly in any way, which I, I suppose is a good thing. Um, you know, But in that void of experience, um, we then get our perceived knowledge from outside sources like the arts or media, most likely TV and movies, which is probably not the best teaching tool in this instance. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and uh, today on Liberty and the Law, we're going to discuss a term that we all hear all the time in those various media, uh, reasonable doubt. Now, of course, to get a a true understanding, uh, we'll turn to someone who is closely aligned with the system involved in it on a daily basis, Lavelle Law Attorney James Dore, and we're going to really dig into this one today. Uh, Boy, the months fly by. Good to talk to you again, James. Nice for uh, for you taking time. Jim, it's great to be back on. Uh, I don't know if I could provide the the true understanding that you're billing there, but uh, I think we can get get a little delve a little deeper into the reasonable doubt and some of our legal principles. So uh, let's get started. Yeah, and you talk about legal principles. You know, when you and I talk, so many of our conversations um, on the podcast often begin with the Constitution. Uh, is is the is the concept of reasonable doubt something that's introduced there, or does it have a different origin? Oh, it's really could it's more of a common law origin. This is, you know, in 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 terms of western uh, uh common law legal principles. This this goes back farther than our own constitution. But <clears throat> you know, our constitution does uh enshrine certain certain legal principles and uh you know, it it encompasses all the common law rights that we had as as Englishmen, you know, at, at our founding. So this would be one of those things that there was uh, well known in, in the English common law tradition. And go, so let's trace, trace back then and, and look at it, you know, in reference today as well. What's and what's what's the objective of this aspect of the legal system then? Well, the, really, the objective is, is to come out with the, with the fairest result. Um, and, and really, one of the bedrock principles is that if somebody who's innocent of a crime not be found guilty. So the, the, you want to err on the side of caution in that. You know, it would be better that, uh, you know, guilty men go free than one innocent man um, be, be sentenced or some other famous Blackstone uh, uh, commentary on that one. But uh, the gist is, uh, you know, the, the, to prevent that greater evil of an innocent person being found guilty is what we're really trying to prevent that. And the way they, the, the system is set up is, is certain founding principles are, are in the system, such as, um you know, you're presumed innocent of a crime, and the, the burden of proof is on the state to prove guilt, and you carry that presumption of innocence throughout the proceedings. So it's important to keep that in mind, that we are presumed, every one of us presumed innocent of every, any crime we were accused of, and then we carry that presumption through the proceedings. And only if we're found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, in that the state has proved their case beyond a reasonable doubt, can you be found guilty? So it's a kind of you, assigning um, burdens of proof, and, and and everybody has their their assigned task in in the proceedings. Yeah, I want to go back to that term you mentioned a couple of times, burden of proof. How does how does that factor into the discussion today? And what, what does does that mean? And who is that burden <clears throat> placed on? 
Sure. Well, certain burdens of proof exist in, in uh, legal matters or even just uh, whether it's a criminal case or it could be a civil case. It could be in, in hearing processes that, that people would have outside of courtrooms. So let's, for example, a civil standard, um, a civil case. It could be a, a, a fender bender, a car accident. Okay. Uh, plaintiff is trying to recover uh, for injuries. Now, a case like that would be a preponderance of the evidence. So if you hit, say, 51%, you prove 51% of your case, you've carried the burden of proof and proven your case. So in a civil standard of proof, you could have preponderance of the evidence. Um, on the other end of the spectrum would be, such as a criminal case where we're talking about the standard here, of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That means, you know, just what those those words say in, in many jurisdictions, you know, reasonable doubt is not defined, but the common usage would be, uh, um, you know, is there doubt, is there question about, you know, facts as, as alleged and reasonable, meaning you, know, you can use your reason, you can use logic to come to that conclusion. You know, we're not looking for far-fetched explanations, we're looking for, is this reasonable? So that would be the other other end of the spectrum. Okay, and somewhere in the middle is a clear and convincing standard of proof too. That uh, you know, it, it kind of right, falls right square in the middle of the, those two standards. So those would be the three standards of proof we're, we're commonly used to seeing in, in legal proceedings. And um, and in each of those cases, uh, the moving party usually bears the burden of proof. So in a criminal case, um, much like the, the 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 fender bender I talked about, we have a plaintiff going forward in a criminal case. The prosecutor is considered the plaintiff and is pursuing that matter, that claim on behalf of the the people of that jurisdiction. Now, I've got to stop you for a minute because you you said something there that um, I want to make sure I heard and um, might take us down a sidetrack here. Did did I hear you say that there is no definition of reasonable doubt? In Illinois, the the term is not defined in the jury, jury instructions. So they're given that as a standard of proof. But the terms mm-hmm. beyond a reasonable doubt, those aren't aren't defined for a jury. In fact, it's the, there's case on the su- in the subject that suggests that it's up to the jury to decide reasonable doubt, what that what exactly that standard is, and how to apply it. So, it's the it's the the trier of fact is the is the ultimate finder of whether or not a case has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. That's that's an interesting twist. You mentioned Illinois. Does that vary then from state to state, and what about, what about federal level? It can it can vary from state to state and in different federal jurisdictions too. So it's one of those you gotta you know check <laughs> check your local jurisdiction to know for sure. Um, but jury instructions uh-huh. are a great guide, and and it's always worth looking at jury instructions. Um, even with a, if you have a bench trial case, it's nice to know the standards that a jury would have to use, and you can argue jury instructions to a, to a judge as well. So it's it's always a good idea to be on top of the jury instructions for the your, your jurisdiction. So um, I, you know, I, I imagine, um, and we hear of, of the jury sending questions back to a judge or asking for to see information again in, in high profile cases. If reasonable doubt is is somewhat left to their interpretation, can or does a judge sort of help the jury find its way in defining reasonable doubt? Well, that's the thing. A, jury, a judge cannot interfere. So, say, say for example, they sent a question that says, uh, you know, we found the following evidence. Is this reasonable doubt? And they asked the jury, the judge, point blank, is does this count? Mm-hmm. A judge isn't going to say yes on that one or no. It's just that's blatantly, you know, within the province of the jury to decide at that point. Um, but 
There will, you know, the, the, sometimes if juries are having a hard time, you know, making up their minds, sometimes judges will try to grease the wheels or get the process moving a little faster. But to outright interfere, no, you, you won't find that. You'll find things like, uh, why don't you see what the jury wants for dinner, you know, and trying to get them to finish up their proceedings for the day, something like that. But uh, you, you won't find judges want to even step into that fray because it, it'll involve the appellate court if they, if they you know, provide a wrong definition or, or somehow interfere with the proceedings. Interesting. Uh, always interesting when I'm chatting with Lavelle Law Defense Attorney James Dore on liberty and the law. Uh, today we're looking at one of the, the main precepts of our legal system, a reasonable doubt. And um, whenever we get together for these discussions, we lay out what areas we hope to cover and then realize we're going to run out of time as we skim the surface. So for that reason, James always uh, writes articles on, on topics like these. You can find it at LavelleLaw.com. And if you're new to this podcast, all of our past episodes, which go back a couple of years now, are available at LavelleLaw.com as well, also on Blog Talk Radio and, and on iTunes. Um, you talked about some standards in the law, some things that carry over pre-Constitution as well. Um, when we talk about burden of proof and reasonable doubt, how does the, the concept, I think you've mentioned before, of, of confronting your accuser factor into this, and, and why is that important in, in our discussion? Sure. Again, it's another one of those in the English common law that's very important that that if you're accused of something, a crime or just accused in general, you have the right to confront your accuser. Um, and again, with that, same with those burdens of proof, um, the prosecutor would have to put on a complaining witness or some witness to the crime to say, I, I saw this or whatever the case may be. And as a defense attorney, I would represent my client and ask that be able to, to to cross-examine that witness. So we can see, is there anything about this story that doesn't add up? Are there, are there things that we can call in, into question about this account? Um, you know, clearly I'll have a client sitting there telling me, um, you know, that's not true or what that person said or whatever the case may be about the, about the testimony. So I'll have a little bit of an insight there. But it's, it's through that, that right of cross-examination, cross that right to confront witnesses, it's very powerful. You know, if you make an accusation, mm -hmm. you have to stand there, and that's that's part of the process. That's part of the fairness of process that we have, that's guaranteed through due process of law, and it's a it's you know it's a fundamental principle, I think. So, um, but, it's one of the, we don't rush to judgment in this country. We we do things in a, in a orderly procedure, and mob rules is not what part of the procedure. You know, we we follow yeah. uh, uh, courts of law. Well, you know, I, you and I have often talked about how you prepare for a case and the things you do in terms of, you know, gathering evidence and, and getting information from the prosecutor and many other things. But so let's let's talk about it now. If, if the burden of proof rests with the prosecutor and in theory they have to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt, do you do you sort of wait to finalize your defense approach until after they've presented their case and then you go, okay, I I think they did or didn't, and therefore my approach will be this, you know this way or that way? I mean, do you sort of wait for them to do their their uh, uh, prosecution effort first? Well, I can say that it, it's it, sometimes you make decisions in the spur of the moment uh, that, that, that influence how your, your case is presented. So, yes, there, there can be changes in, in theories at, at the last minute. Um, you know, whether or not a state, the, the state has proven their case, I think is, is something that, you know, we, we'd be looking at the whole time the state's putting on their case. We're looking at mm -hmm. to 
where's the doubt? Where 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 are the holes in the case? You know, where's the weakness? And we're pointing that out. So, um, but a decision like say whether or not a, the defendant is going to testify, that could be a last minute decision. That's clearly a client decision on what to do ultimately. And a lot of times mm-hmm. the decision comes down to, do we think the state has proven their case? Because once you step up, then the, the state can cross-examine you. So mm-hmm. then you're being confronted by the by the prosecutors. So it's one of those things. It, it, it carries risks, but a lot of times the rewards outweigh those risks. So um, and, and do and you that's not a lawyer decision. That's that? a client decision. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's do you, something yeah, we've the details. Yeah, so you'll say, look, this is what I think I heard. You know, what, did did you hear the same thing? Are you feeling the same way I am? Do you, you and the client kind of go through that? Well, I love the my clients, my eyes and ears in the courtroom as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. this is on my this person's on my side. I'm on his side. So, I'm going to listen to my client because sometimes a client will pick up on things like the jury's. You know, he's getting positive feedback from a jury, or maybe the other way. So, I I I I, I trust very much my client's instincts on on, on reading the room and that jury. Uh, as much as my own at times, because it's it's that important to to rely on all the feedback you can in, in making that decision, and ultimately it's a decision that uh, has to be made the, the client and lawyer together. But it's the client's decision of I want to testify or I don't want to testify, and we have to respect that as lawyers. Minute minute or so left here. Um, going back to our, our basic theme of reasonable doubt, um, if you feel that that really hasn't been proven. Or, or anyone does can can that be a basis for an appeal? I mean, can can that alone be something that allows you to appeal, or do you need something more substantial than feeling that that wasn't proven? Oh, it could be a basis for an appeal. Certainly, is it the best basis? Uh, you know, it, it, all cases are different, so it's it's hard to say. Okay. You know, that would be a good basis, but it would be a traditional uh, a, a, a mode of appealing that say that you know the, the the evidence presented was not enough and should not have been a, the you know the finding should be set aside or you know for whatever reason. Excellent. Well, um, we certainly covered a lot of ground today, and uh, great overview uh, from LaBelle Law Attorney James Dore. Uh, thanks very much for being here, James. Always uh, appreciate his excellent contribution and look forward to talking with him again next month. In between, um, everyone should be sure to stay up to date on our Liberty and Law podcasts, articles, other news, everything available at uh, James's profile page at lavellelaw.com. And uh, we'll certainly look forward to digging into another topic as we get together again next month. So thanks, everyone, for listening and being a part of our podcast. <laughs>